Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It is Monday, April 10th. Today is National Siblings Day because everyone should love their siblings. It's also National Farm Animals Day because where else would you get eggs from if you didn't have any chickens? It's also National Encourage a Young Writer Day because we know most writers can't even write anymore because they just get taught to type. It's also National Cinnamon croissant day and thank you all for joining us and getting high at nine with us it's also high noon on the east coast and please remember to like share and subscribe to us on all social media platforms use that fancy little qr code right there in the top hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the internet and we are live every monday through friday on youtube and audio only on clubhouse if you are joining us in clubhouse you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief comment on the story most recently presented also too we do want to remind everyone that we are having a 420 celebration giveaway so make sure that you do head over to our website let us know what you're going to be doing for 420 and we will share who wins as well as some things that you guys are doing to help celebrate 420 in this lovely holiday for us all but coming up first we have the dope dad himself that's right it's rico Lamite. When Rico is not doing daddy daycare, you can find him taking care of baby Yoda. That's right. He obviously couldn't find any Star Wars babysitters or maybe even any AI drones to help watch him today. So it's bring him to work day. That's right. It is the dope dad himself, Rico Lameet. I uh, appreciate that, Jason. And I'm all moved in here. And it's baby Zozo's third birthday on Saturday. So it's been a fun one for us. Nobody's safe. My story today is coming out of Chicago and um, talking a little bit about CBD. Chicago Cubs made two big announcements this weekend that they'd sh- that had surely catapult the team into the future history books. And although it may not be another unlikely North Side pennant run, the news just might calm the haters down for doubting. Because according to the team's uh, spokesperson, the, they will be the first Major League Baseball team to, openly, to be openly sponsored by and selling CBD products in their stadium on game days. The Cubs are working with Chicago-based Mind Drinks, which will have signage and beverages in three flavors at Wrigley Field. Mind met the criteria for working with MLB teams by receiving the NSF certified for sports designation and the teams leaning hard into CBD's notorious relaxing qualities to promote the deal. And they will be releasing a guided meditation on YouTube narrated by their radio play-by-play announcer, Pat Hughes. MLB made waves recently as the first major sports league with a CBD sponsor after partnering with CBD company Charlotte's Web in an exclusive multi-year deal inked last October. So expect more teams to follow suit. And who knows, with the way things are going, maybe we'll see a Delta 8 dab bar in the bleachers this season. Hemp-based can of bumps in the dugout. Whatever way these athletes decide to let their, uh, whatever these teams decide to, uh, however they, they, they choose to share their freedoms with the visitors in their stadium, I'm all for it. In last week's headlines, the NBA eliminated THC testing in its latest collective bargaining agreement 
in addition to allowing players to invest in cannabis companies. So who knows? Maybe the NFL will be next to make the adjustments and capitalize off the green rush. But uh, I'm interested in hearing what everybody else to say about this one. Are you going to be slamming cannabis or CBD-infused beers in the bleachers anytime soon? This is Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street for High at Nine News. You really think they're going to have CBD-infused beer? Well, I doubt that. My question for you, Rico. Rico, you love Rico. You love to follow the money. Question: Is, mm-hmm. uh, is this beverage company uh, is one of the main investors Wrigley because he has invested in the cannabis space before? They didn't uh, fully disclose that, but I would not be surprised. I would, I would not be surprised either. at all. Oh, you know what? It may be. My money is on. That's the only way this is happening. Maybe it's Sean Puffy Combs Cannabis Company. Because didn't he buy uh, those, those like dormant licenses from Cresco? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from Cresco. Yeah, Cresco. We got one in New York, yeah. Massachusetts, and Illinois. Yeah, got a bunch of them. Yeah. This, this I think is going to be a total flop. Personally, you think so? Yeah. Why? Why? Because first of all, anyone that buys CBD to add into their beverage is just doesn't make any sense. I can see him selling like some. No, CBD they're, they're, no, they're selling the, the cans. They're selling the cans and the. Um, and bottles of it they're actually going to be selling them at the uh, concession it's a canned stands. beverage it's yeah. all it's all hemp based boof this is ridiculous i, don't... I mean yes it's of course hemp right but it's Chicago it's, the wellness a step. City. it's a, it's a step. slow it's a step, step. Yes. i mean i i will say that if anybody <laughs> is going step. like you know drink for drink alcohol versus cbd beer the cbd beer drinker is going to fall asleep that's what I was going to say. You already fall asleep. The the fuck down. Down. Yeah. They take so About long. 25 milligrams of CBD or higher, and you're going to sleep. Yeah, they're going to get some cots. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to be like usually by the seventh inning stretch, you have people that are wasted. They're absolutely, absolutely wasted at baseball games because it's like a three plus hour experience. So, um, It'll be interesting to see uh, if this pushes things in the other direction. Uh, Chicago is a very uh, wellness minded city. And um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. This, this is pretty weird uh, to me. I, and after I'm being really a bouncer, yeah. I mean, I was a bouncer in Wrigleyville, like right across the street yeah. from the Hold stadium. Jax is, so. Jax is saying that at the Colorado Rocky Stadium that they already do this already, so they're not that. the first. Lee, are, are they have Rocky. they been doing it legally? Colorado's been doing beverage accessibility for quite a while. I think uh, I don't know exactly how long, but I remember in the stadium. Just in general, you can buy it, I think, at grocery stores, too. CBD. No, I mean, you can get CBD beverages. Yeah, uh, that, the question is, is Major League Baseball allowing yes. it in their stadiums, Jack? Mm-hmm. So that would be yeah. our question to you. Right. You know what would be really interesting is if they release CBD beverages at, like, Raiders games. And then we see how many fights <laughs> decrease. <laughs> I don't buy that because uh, because Raider games have uh, notoriously. I can't speak for the new stadium out of decision makers. But as long as it was in Los Angeles and <laughs> Oakland, they would have the largest smokeouts that I've ever seen yes. at any event. I, I, I can Oakland see stadium. I can I see K two becoming. I see. I can see K two becoming a, a sponsor of Raider. <laughs> the Raiders. There you go. Let's see, some, let's see some fans just bite each other's faces off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, like I said, I think this is this is pretty stupid. I don't think it's really going to gain a lot of traction. I think that um, they, they could use it to, like, sober people up because, like, don't they stop selling alcohol after a certain inning? Like they seventh do, inning. Like the third seventh inning. Seventh yeah. inning. Yeah. So it's funny. In- Ingrid Fay in, in, the, in the audience, she said she, uh, as a bartender, Near Wrigley, I'd love to hear what uh, what bar it was. I was a bouncer at, at Goose Island. I used to s- slang packs out the back <laughs> of Goose Island, Wrigleyville. And uh, as a bartender in, uh, near Wrigley in Chicago, she doubts that this will be a major draw. Like I, I don't even know. I've, I haven't been back to uh, any games uh, out there in over fifteen years, so I don't. I, I don't know. I, I can't. I could not see it as a major draw then. Uh, but I mean. Maybe it would be a draw yeah. for the White Sox. The Cubs are doing fine. They don't need, you know, CBD to help them I can see this being more successful the White Sox on the North side help. than the South side. The South side 
they're the ones that would probably be doing K two. Like South <laughs> the South Side, that's that's more like the Raiders fans down there. That's the, the true Chicagoans, where uh, a lot of the uh, suburbanites and people that are transplants into the city, they're more uh, the Cubs fans. All go the education. Go ahead and pipe me over this, y'all. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm reading here. I'm reading another article, Rico, uh, uh-huh. that talks about how they're also taking this to London. There's going to be a Cubs Cardinal series in London where they will be featuring this beverage as well. Because the one, another article I found, it looks like it's an Irish company. Hold on. That's so, mind. So, so, so you're saying that it's only like one specific beverage that's going to have CBD, Gretchen? Yes. What are you missing? Mind Beverages will be at Wrigley Field. M-I-N-D? M-Y-N-D. M-Y-N-D. Mm-hmm. Yes. And behind Mind, I found some other guy from Ireland. I don't know. So I think there is definitely who was an athlete. Does the Wrigley family have anything to do with that company? Because I don't know. They, That's what I'm trying to find out is who are more of the investors. They're I'm, definitely I'm investing in cannabis and CBD mm-hmm. in a major way. Who did they invest in a long time ago? I feel like went under. Mm-hmm. Like was a bad investment. I don't, I forget who it was. I don't was remember either, but I remember about now. three or four years ago, there was a big yeah. huge article. Mm-hmm. Right, you gonna keep it moving yeah. Like yeah. I said, I think this is stupid. Next. Yeah. Let's keep it moving here. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go to a commercial. We'll be right back. All right. How's it going guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio and Spotify. Tune in now and check it out. Up next, he is the industry's longest continuously operating retailer and self-proclaimed highest Republican in the game. Well known for smoking the best weed in the world. And recently he's been working on individual ones, legal access to cannabis to bring him to the top of the game. You know who it is, Jason Beck. Uh, yeah, good morning, Rico. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Now it's Monday, the most important day of the week. And uh, my story is, is kind of interesting. It's coming out of New York where they're saying that New York favors felons and snubs disabled veterans in awarding of pot licenses. That's right. Albany's slow adult use cannabis rollout is leaving veterans behind critics charge. Advocates say Governor Kathy Hochul's administration is discri- is discriminating against disabled military veterans by prioritizing convicted drug felons when awarding licenses to sell marijuana and possibly violating the very law that legalized the sale of cannabis in New York in the first place. In a quote, the whole veterans community is in an uproar, said Kari Fiore, uh, chair of the Cannabis Association of New York's Veterans Committee and a disabled Army veteran. The Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act of 2021 that legalized the adult use sale of weed designated five social and economic equity classes to get 50 percent of employment opportunities in the budding pot industry. Uh covering those convicted of marijuana-related crimes and ser- and service-disabled veterans, as well as women and minority-owned businesses and distressed farmers. But so far, the first 300 cannabis dispensary licenses have been set aside solely for applicants found guilty of a pot-related charge or related to someone swept up before the drug's legalization. In a quote, only criminal applicants have been allowed to apply, said Fiore, an FDNY emergency medical technician who served in the Army from 2008 to 2016. Fiore said Hochul's administration via the Office of Cannabis Management and the State Cannabis Control Board is passing over disabled vets and likely flouting the law by shutting them out. In a quote, the OCM's actions are not only based at Uh, biased and discriminatory against veterans they are also potentially illegal he charged fiori noted that the ocm carved out a new justice class last spring creating the conditional adult use retail dispensary curd c-a-u-r-d license for applicants previously convicted of marijuana related offenses in a quote this license category was not included in the mrta language he said referring referencing to the 2021 
legalization legislation. State officials have allowed ex-cons to leapfrog over disabled vets under the special license, Fiore added. And while there could be an overlap with other so-called social equity groups for the conditional licenses, such as women and minority applicants, disabled veterans are not included because individuals with drug convictions in most instances are ineligible to serve in the armed services, Fiore said. He also said state officials um, ease the eligibility for the special licenses for ex-cons compared to the rules that apply to disabled vets and other groups. Disabled vets and women and minorities without a felony pot conviction must show that they have the finances necessary to operate and a, and a lease secured for a property to open a weed dispensary. But under the, the conditional licenses, ex-cons can be approved without money or a lease or and, and obtain financing via a fund that would dispense business loans social equity impact ventures the group whose ownership included former basketball star chris weber the financing program has largely been a bust unable to raise the necessary funds to get the program off the ground the exclusion of disabled vets is getting the first licenses to sell weed is just the just the latest controversy in the rocky rollout of the cannabis program so there's an estimated 1500 illicit, illicit shops flourishing in the big apple alone by illegally peddling cannabis while not paying taxes much of the uh the jargon of new york's uh, Mayor Eric Adams and local law enforcement officials. Um, meanwhile, only seven state licensed marijuana stores have opened in the entire Empire State. As part of ongoing state budget talks, the governor and Albany lawmakers are eyeing a crackdown on black market weed sellers by dramatically increasing fines and making it easier to shut down rogue operators. Yeah, right, guys. Because of the current lenient penalties, illicit pot peddlers got so brazen that they even opened up a shop right across the street from city hall yeah and you guys have raided it three times to my knowledge and it's still open but nonetheless lawmakers meanwhile are going to bat for the disabled vets including uh state senator jessica scholarella of spanton she's a democrat um from oh from staten island in brooklyn who chairs the legislative bodies committee that oversees veteran services in a quote she says we are concerned that the OCM is not following the MRTA as written, Scarlia Scampton uh, said in a, in a draft letter to Hochul that was being circulated among state senators. Scarciella Spapiton said that the law does not specific specify that formerly incarcerated individuals with pot convictions would, in quotes, receive the right to apply for cannabis licenses before everyone else. She urged Hochul to open up the pool of applicants to include disabled vets and cancel the special program that licenses only those previously convicted of pot offenses. Those who have sacrificed to serve their country, especially those who have been injured because of their services or um, other worthy special equity groups are currently being overlooked, Scralia Spranton said. And the OCM responding to Ho on Hochul's behalf uh, defended giving ex-cons priority while saying in its discussions with veterans about future licensing in a quote, the Office of Cannabis Management has conducted significant outreach to veterans and veterans groups, including meeting with the Cannabis Association of New York's Veterans Committee with the Black Veterans for Social Justice, hosting a roundtable at the Veterans in Eco Economic Transition Conference and hosting listening sessions across New York and numerous one on one conversations with veterans and advocates, said spokesman Aaron Giltman. And in a quote, they also say, we will continue to engage with this incredibly talented and entrepreneurial community as we move forward. Their voices will continue to be heard and reflected in all of our work, they say. Well, I'm going to tell you what, something stinks in New York, and it's definitely not the trash, and it's definitely not the trash weed that they're selling either. But I'm going to digress, and this is Jason Beck reporting for the High at Nine News Hour. What do y'all think about this? I think this is New York Post trying to make something out of nothing. <laughs> they're, trying, they're trying to they're trying to start some beef between the, between the trappers and the uh, um, and, and also the folks that have um, been negatively affected by the war on drugs. Um, they're trying to create a beef between them and the vets. 
that, that does not exist. Sounds like there's already is a beef, Rico, from the from some of the quotes in here. I don't think they're trying to create it. They're just you can ask enough I people think, to get enough drumming up quotes from from, from from folks. But I, I think it's them trying to make something out of nothing. I think there's beef all around New York. I don't think it's just the vets, uh, folks who feel as if the administration up there has put way too much emphasis on the social equity applicants coming first. You, I agree with this. There's going to be lawsuits all over the place. I That's agree with this. Actually, I, one of the things that I really appreciate about several of the municipalities in California is they do take into account the viability you know, potential of the social equity applicant. Like, do they have strong backing? Do they have strong mentors? Is this a pre-existing business owner? There's lots of factors that go into play, not to mention there's also these cohorts that they're required to participate in that have all kinds of classes and they get checked off if they don't participate in these. They don't even get to get into the lottery system at all. And mm -hmm. so um, New York is really screwing themselves over right now in a lot of ways. There really should be licenses allocated for a, a number of different you know, business types and social equity shouldn't be the only one in existence. Uh, I think... I think that they should be first. They should be first everywhere. Um, New York is just doing a bad job of, of rolling it out. Well, if New York really wanted to put them first, then they should have put it in their law. Uh, I mean, the exactly. vets have a valid argument that just doing it because you feel like it, that's not how the law was written. Exactly. Um, and so to just be yep. ignoring everyone, you're just opening the door for turmoil and a lot more lawsuits Chaos. and slowing down the market opening. A lot of strife. Yep. A lot of people feeling <laughs> stepped on out there. Oh, so it sounds like the black and brown community for for decades and generations. So I'm I'm all for it. You're all you're all for people being stepped on. in line. If if you got the money to to hold on and wait for these people to figure shit out, wait in line. I'm all for it. <laughs> well, we know who doesn't have the money to 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 hold the line and hold things out, and that's everyone that was supposed to benefit from that fund, because. Well Thank very you. true. And, very and Jason brings it. up a point. I mean, Rico, does it help at all to give these folks a license if they're waiting on this imaginary fund that has not materialized? Nope. Nope. I mean, not what's at the all. point? If you have viable businesses that say, we got the money, we got the funding, we have all the other requirements, let's start issuing some licenses to those folks. Mm -hmm. Listen, I agree. I agree with all that. Oh, um, you agree but, with that now? I agree That's with all that, but but, but, I, but I think but I think that the 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 people negatively affected by the war on drugs should come first. Period. But what's I don't understand why? Why do you agree what? that people who can put up a business they, they've, they've should not go killed? first? But you agree that people should all right get them the license, but now they got to wait three years till a fund gets raised. Well, well, you know what? Well, you you know what? Why this does not, that make sense to is, you? This is not the communities of colors problem. This is. White America's problem. This is the government's problem. They should figure it out because they created the problem. You know what? They, I mean, it's hard to have. They figured out. It's hard to put people in charge of creating the solution who have created the problem. Right. Let's just be. Let's start Word. there, and then also, you know, there has to be a system where everyone gets some kind of level playing field inclusive of social equity folks i mean there should just be a certain number of licenses that are earmarked for social equity period it shouldn't be only social equity like that's just that doesn't make any sense at all yeah for for people that say that they're so inclusive they're being very exclusive i would say yeah <laughs> Oh, you uh, agree with that, huh? Uh, I think there should be more. Rico, you are just flip flop, flip flop, flip flop. Exactly, fish right now. I'm saying this is great. I, I, I love seeing all these rich white people all pissed off. <laughs> I would not call disabled men white people. You know how seldom I get. You're calling disabled men white shit? people. What's that? Right. You're calling these disabled vets rich white people. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying New York Post is trying to pit the vets against the vets against everybody else. I disagree with this whole the whole premise of New York Post trying to drum up this fucking beef. This is why are they drumming up beef? The vets went to their lawmaker. The lawmaker sent a letter to the governor. Are beefing no one's drumming up anything. Overall, yes, they are. They're trying to play up. They're trying to play it up as these two groups. Everybody's mad at New York. Yes, Chris, what do you have to say about this? 
I just think there should be more of an emphasis on those businesses being successful. I like the fact, you know, I like Mandy's comments about some of the municipalities in California requiring certain steps to be taken to ensure that, you know, um, they, they are put in a position and, and people are in a position to be successful, right? It's one thing to get a license, but, you know, we don't want to see those licenses go out of business. I mean, if, if they're going to issue out these licenses and the people don't have the money to operate them, the best thing that they have going for them is to just be able to have the ability to sell those paper licenses to someone that can't actually get it off the ground and just take the payout that way. Or just bring up reparations like you should. But then again, who is going to buy a paper license yep. in New York when you have the trap market thriving so prevalently out there? Look at the sweet baby. Yourself. I got to talk about the dog. I'm over this. Look at the cute little puppy. Go ahead and listen to the New York Post propaganda and think that, you know, I think that the vets the vets are super angry at the social equity folks. Like, so what is social equity? No one said. All right. Now, Rico, you're creating something here. You're creating fake news. Yes, nobody said that the vets are angry at the social equity. The vets are angry at the OCM for putting social equity first. Exactly. Now you're trying to create peace. If you're going, if the vets, is this a vet organization that is mad at them? Or is it just like random people they ask on the streets? I mean, the vets need to be included in social equity. Yeah, vets need to be included in social equity, period. You're going to find people that are mad at at, at the program, I don't think anybody's happy with the rollout that New York has had. Period. No. Right? Like no, no, nobody's Pretty happy. With that. My my point in this is I'm I'm just I'm just glad that they're putting the people who are affected by the war on drugs first. Do but I think I'm it's saying, what is no. the point of putting no. them first? What is? How do you know point? that those veterans were out fighting the war on drugs? Technically, you don't know where they were deployed at. Yeah. And also, veterans absolutely need any, to be included okay. in social equity. Yeah, really yeah. Any, 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 every vet that I that I've spoken, that I've personally spoke to, including Sean Kearney, including uh, Dwayne, in our comment section here, said they don't see uh, um, at this as a beef between social equity applicants and and uh, um, and and veterans. It's, it's totally different, and and they they weren't illegally targeted by the U.S. government. Their communities weren't torn apart by the U.S. government uh, in, in order to fight this quote-unquote war on drugs, which is really a, just a war on black and brown people. We have, we, we have Doff from the Clubhouse audience to shed some light on this. What do you have to say about this, Doff? Hey, good morning, um, uh, everyone, my, and my good people. Um, you know, uh, I think this is also a slippery slope. The the vets have, have done a lot and contributed a lot to this country, right? I mean, they, they, they have been the, the 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 first line of defense you know to to defend many of the freedoms that we all have being americans that being said social equity in cannabis is not equality in cannabis right and if we start including every different group then what does it actually mean and so we have to realize that there, there are major differences between equity and equality everyone should be included vets you know single women disabled folk, LGBTQ, whoever wants inclusion should be afforded that luxury. However, to group them under that very specific category that was created for a very specific reason, it is, does it justice to the entire social equity uh, program nationwide. And so we have to go back and look at why social equity is created to actually realize how it has to go forward. That's all I have. Thank you very much for that, Dosh. for that. Oh yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna keep it moving. We're gonna go right in to our very own little spicy redheaded conservative that loves to dress up her dogs and rain on Rico's parade. That's right. She's the, our very own little Washington insider, founder of Panoptic Strategies. That's right. It is Gretchen Gailey. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jason Beck with the small hands and many other small articles. Uh, his <laughs> small hands. Oh, That's your boy's images. favorite. He loves the small hands. <laughs> My headline is coming from SF Gate. California is losing legal pot farm licenses by the hundreds. California's legal pot market has lost hundreds of pot farms a month as farmers opt to quit the legal market. 
and signs indicate the industry is only continuing to shrink. The state has lost 1,766 cultivation licenses since the beginning of last year, according to data reported by the California Department of Cannabis Control and the Cannabis Business Times. Low wholesale prices and high taxes have made it almost impossible for operators to run a profitable small business, pot industry insiders say. The fleeing farms are reducing the total amount of space licensed to produce cannabis in California. The state has lost 23% of its total legal canopy. The combined size of all legal cannabis grows since the beginning of 2022, according to Aaron Edelheit, a cannabis investor who analyzes California's market. That's over 19 million square feet of cannabis farming that has disappeared over the past year. Max Rudstein, chief officer of Monterey's possible cannabis farm, said he expects the industry to continue bleeding farms throughout the year. We expect this loss to accelerate as more businesses decide the same fate. There are 6,827 active cultivation licenses in California, according to the Department of Cannabis Control. That's 845 fewer farm licenses than there were at the beginning of the year, and 1,766 fewer licenses compared with the beginning of 2022. Brian Dewey, the head of business development at the cannabis distributor Nabis, said the significant reduction in cultivation licenses was caused by an oversupply of bulk flour produced by the wealth of legal farms in the cannabis market. Edelheit, who invests in California cannabis companies and writes about the industry in Mindset Value Newsletter, agreed that the reduction in farms is a correction after too many small farmers entered the industry. In my opinion, we are seeing a rationalization of having too many cannabis farms and too much supply. Going forward, there will be fewer farms and most of the remaining ones will either produce the absolute best craft quality or be the low cost producers. Edelheit said the most farms are going out of business likely won't be able to renew their licenses because they would need to come into full compliance with environmental protection laws, which few small farms are able to do. California's pot farmers have seen a steep drop in wholesale prices, with some farms reporting a 95% drop in what they can get for a pound of pot since the state legalized cannabis in 2016. But signs indicate that the downward spiral has started to bottom out, with cultivators able to sell their pot for higher rates. Even so, Edelheit said that in recent increases in wholesale prices won't be enough to keep many of the small-scale farms in business. Even now, with the price increases, we are back to break even for most people. This is why so many farms are giving up and shutting down and have been for the past 12 months. Uh, I think this is a terrible sign. I hate to see this happening in California. I think the efforts in California and the governor's office should be focused on keeping these folks in business. Don't get me started on environmental protection laws uh, because they're just ridiculous in California, like so many other things in California. Um, I'm hopeful that they will care and try and save this industry in California, but I think they just don't care. This is Gretchen for Hyatt 9 News. Yo, dude, these places need to lose their license. So many of these idiots came into this business with a big watch telling people like me that I'm an idiot and they're going to show me how it's done. Yep. They hired a CFO to make a spreadsheet. They wrote down a bunch of numbers. They bribed somebody or they got money from John Paul Mitchell or John Paul DeJoria's kid to, to grow 40 acres of boof-ass weed. Mm -hmm. and, and what they're seeing is the thing that I've been telling people from the get-go, man. Quality weed is the only way to survive in the cannabis economy. You can't, it's not Walmart, man. You can't just make cheaper plastic shit in China when it comes to weed. It's a qualitative aesthetic experience. And if you're not providing a reason why to people, you're going to fail. And not only do we see this with all of these big cannabis uh, uh, businesses going out of uh, out of business, and the majority of them are over four acres, over 67% of the ones of the three and a half million uh, square feet that went out of business this year were over four and a half acres. They're large producers in Lake Salinas and Santa Barbara County. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing I've been harping on with all these celebrity brands. Mike Tyson and Willie Nelson and the Marlies and continue on. The, on. Everybody. They, they sell out. They just whore out their entire likeness to some management company. The management company is a bunch of douchebags who think that they're in the weed game because they smoked a joint in college. Mm -hmm. They do the same thing and they hire a CFO and they write out a spreadsheet that shows they can only buy $300 pounds of indoor. And then they wonder why their brand fails. They wonder why Tyson 2.0 is about to be Tyson 3.0. Why the Marley <laughs> brand has disappeared. Why the mm -hmm. Nelson brand has disappeared. Why all of these brands have disappeared. And it comes back to the same thing every time. Let me calm down. Sorry, I just really love weed. You have to be creating quality cannabis. You can't just fill out a spreadsheet and think the whole thing's going to work out for you. Um, I 
you took the words right out of my mouth, first of all. And also, there's a lot to be said when it comes down to considering your branding or even coming into California as a flower brand, period. You have to have your own connection to your farm. I mean, I think there's one celebrity I can think of that's actually having any kind of staying power, and that's Jim Belushi. And the man's growing his own weed at his own farm. So... Hold isn't on, he's he not he's not well, and he's in Oregon, isn't he? He's a, he's yeah, but that's my point. Anymore. I was just talking about celebrities, but yeah, here in California, we're not surprised. You're right. Somebody out there had a really great CFO, made everything look very profitable on paper. No one in the world could have ever could have ever guessed how many licenses were going to be given out across the state of California versus how many dispensaries were, licenses were going to be given out. I mean, there's a huge disproportion there. There's just a massive disconnect across the state. And this, this right now, though, these smaller farms that are dying and going under because of the circumstance, this is where social equity should be jumping in. Social equity should be coming in and evaluating these farms. Are these farms that have been around for 10 plus years? Are these the people who were the quote unquote outlaws that we all persecuted for you know decades? These are the people who de deserve some social equity, in my opinion. I have a question for you, Matthew St. Germain, since you live out there. Um, do, when it says that these farms are shutting down, are they really shutting down or are they just going back to the illicit market? Uh, the majority of the farms that are, are shutting down are actually ceasing operations because they're they're really large farms. They're not they're not uh, legacy players for the most part. Again, it's a. Uh, 67% were bigger than four acres, another 30% were one acre or larger, and then the the, the remaining were smaller 10,000 or you know half acre 10,000 square foot farms. And, and there are a lot of 10,000 square foot and, and smaller farms that are going out of business. Most of those are just pivoting back to the legacy market um, in order to survive. And, and this is again, this is just the policies of Gavin Newsom. You know, we were all we were all told if you vote for 64, there's going to be no vertical integration. So small players can survive. There's going to be an acre cap to allow small players to survive. The moment the thing was was approved, Gavin Newsom jumps in to protect his corporate overlords and he makes vertical integration legal. The moment vert vertical integration becomes legal, if you're not growing your own weed, you're done. Like someone mentioned Garcia brand in the chat. Garcia brand is the only celebrity brand I saw that came with high uh, like real high quality business practices, always the best weed. Every one of their jars curated amazingly and they couldn't survive in, in California because they weren't vertically integrated. And the thing that happens is I go to buy weed from XYZ cultivator. Well, he's going to sell it to me for whatever he's selling his pounds at in the market to stores plus a hundred bucks. So now my eights are automatically priced out of out of reach because uh, these buyers know they can get the same weed from the same farm for a lower price. It just doesn't have the Garcia branding on it, which they don't give a shit about. And so this is something I like to highlight all the time about Gavin Newsom. He was put into business by the Getty family. That's John Paul Getty, Getty, one of the original corporate robber barons that helped to decimate the working class in America. They gave him a $5 million check to, to buy a winery. And that is why he's an entrepreneur. Bro, anyone there want to give me a $5 million check? I'll go buy a business and be an entrepreneur too and start waving my watch around at people. Just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> I knew with Gavin Newsom being in charge of this whole deal that this was going to happen, and, and we've seen it happen. He is purposefully trying to Walmartize weed and trying to flush anyone like that looks like me or looks like Rico out of this game, and he only wants the folks in there who are already running everything. Didn't Steve D'Angelo have play a big part in this too, Matthew? Oh, God, he did. I hate weed Jesus, bro. I want to really just elbow drop that dude off the top rope. If you guys can ever uh, – do like a celebrity wrestling match or MMA match. I'm totally down to battle Steve D'Angelo for the title of Who is California Weed Jesus? Word on yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he'll, he'll I'll even arm wrestle him with these little penguin flippers, dude. Yeah. Yeah, one, of the, one of his pigtails. One of his pigtails has more strength in it than your than those measly little arms you got there. I'm gonna take you on, Weed Jesus. Okay. I'm coming for you, brother. We, we, we are behind on the five, table. We go to a commercial. We're gonna be right back. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com.
The thoughts, opinions, and shade thrown at High Nine News are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker or its followers. The statements made do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and our speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, territory, or its authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary responsibility or relationship. Our sponsors do not imply or constitute any endorsement by us or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of any speaker on stage. So if you are an easily offended person, you might want to stay out of the comment section today. <laughs> Control Tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. Oh, yeah. Coming up next, we have the cannabis wizard that is doing his damnedest to continue the work of the Merry Pranksters and the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. That's right. He's a cannabis wizard and a fellow Emerald Cup flower judge. That's right. It is the Count, the immortal Count himself, Matthew St. Germain. Thank you so much, Brother Jason. Happy Monday. Uh, I've got a story that I'm going to kind of summarize because it, uh, uh, Jason forwarded to me. It's a great story that, that really highlights something that I've been mentioning and I think we should talk about. Uh, but the article is like just soaked in reefer madness and a, and a ton of bullshit. So I'm going to kind of summarize and add a little bit. So. The title is Her Brain Was Gone. Parents describe the horror of their daughter's marijuana-induced psychosis, which isn't a joke, man. Mental illness does suck. So Democrats in Minnesota are getting close to finally legalizing recreational marijuana and kind of catching up to the time, right? Now, uh, the, one of the first things this article wants to say is marijuana is addictive. It's not. But at the same time, anything can be addictive if you've got problems, right? Gambling can be addictive. Sports can be addictive. Sex can be addictive, etc. So what, what they are talking about, though, is this family, this very nice family, had a, do had a daughter who uh, went schizophrenic, and they're highlighting the, the ties of marijuana to schizophrenia and psychosis. Now, this is a real thing, and us as cannabis navigators, we should be really honest with, uh, with this, and we shouldn't always try to, although cannabis can be the healing of the nations, it can help people with epilepsy, it can help people with cancer, it can help people with all kinds of problems. It can be a problem if you have mental illness in your family, right? And so this is a story about, a, a, again, a, a family whose daughter went su supposedly psychotic. But one of the things you see is these are hardcore Christian fundamentalist parents. And one of the main warning signs was the daughter didn't want to take place in the usual American dog and pony show and go to the mall and drink Starbucks and blindly, you know, Zeke Heil, the U.S. military. And she started dyeing her hair and piercing herself. And so to the parents, that was deeply disturbing. And, and one of the things I'd offer is, a lot of times what looks like psychosis or schizophrenia amongst youth who contact psychedelics is a radical breaking with a system that's not based on truth. It's based on sexual suppression and shame and social control. And when you have uh, uh, messages arising spontaneously from the center of your being that contradict this, you then become you get into a mental crisis because every authority figure you've ever talked to tells you the world's one way. But you can you're getting a conscious knowing from the center of the universe, from the center of your soul that's telling you that none of this is real, it's all different, and there's a different way we're supposed to be ordering and running our society. And so I would offer that first and foremost, what often appears as mental breaks just is a cognitive dissonance of the inability to patch together these, these contradictory facts and worldviews. So again, that being said, there, there, there's a, a thought that there could be a link from THC to schizophrenia, but there also could be what's called a reverse causal mechanism, which is people are predisposed to trauma, psychosis, and schizophrenia self-medicating with cannabis because they are in crisis and they are not being helped by the medical authorities and the people around them, right? So another one of the things this, this uh, thing wants to say is like, oh, weed is so strong now that it's making everybody crazy. Yo, dude, sadhus in India have been smoking hash for fucking 5,000 years plus. And even the most rudimentary hand rubbed hash is over 40, 50 percent THC, well higher than any cannabis flower that's any be ever been grown anywhere in the world. Right. So so that's just straight up bullshit. So when you see, when you hear that weed nowadays is worse than ever, that's not true either. OK, in 2021, an estimated 30 percent of high school seniors reported using marijuana in the last year an estimated 17 percent of 10th graders and 7 percent of 8th graders. Now, if we wanted to contrast this with Portugal or Amsterdam, where cannabis has been decriminalized or legal for decades, 
they're in the very low double digits of teen and and young adult usage of of drugs because of education and taking away that illicit you know rebel connotation to to the use of these studies uh, 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 substances. Pardon me. Um, there was a, a study that came out of Lancet in Denmark that found the proportion of cases of schizophrenia associated with cannabis use disorder has tripled over the last two decades. Makes sense because so many more people are using cannabis. Um, in 2019, the Lancet uh, published the results of a large study from across Europe and Brazil that found heavy users of high-potency marijuana were up to five times more likely to develop a psychotic disorder than non-users. And I've seen it myself. So the number one thing is we need more education and we need the message that if you have pre uh, uh, predilection to schizophrenia or other mental disorders, you really should seek therapy and think more than twice, think three or four times before using any substance to medicate or to do anything other than deal with your problems head on. Right. Um, separately, I found a study. Uh, let me hit it right here. I found a study from the, uh, the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health. And it it's talking about the uh, the relationship between schizophrenia, THC and CBD. And, and what they're saying is the same thing. There is a worry and a risk of developing early onset schizophrenia. And again, oftentimes it's early onset schizophrenia, which means you may actually have gone schizophrenic in your later 20s, but it's going to surface earlier, right? But there is a correlation between THC use and early onset schizophrenia. However, conversely, there's a correlation between CBD use and the cessation of schizophrenic um, uh, tendencies or manifestations, as well as psychosis. So... The, the, the jury's really still out, but at the same time, anything that's highly psychoactive is going to uh, interface with your mental state. And if your mental state isn't stable and uh, you have any kind of predilections towards mental illness, this could be a trigger. And so I think the number one thing the study points to first and foremost is we need real education and real information about cannabis use and the risks inherent as well as the benefits. And I think stories like the one I'd like anybody who wants to, to please read this story, contrast the story with, with what I've been offering. And I think stories like this do a disservice to even the thing that they're trying to do, because when you say that the weed's stronger than ever and it's going to turn you into a psychotic monster and then you have a, a 10th grader smoke weed and he just like hears a bird call and it's the most beautiful thing ever and he sees an oak tree and he sees how the unfolding fractal, fractal reality of an oak tree mirrors the, the neurons in his brain and the the, the bronchi and the alveoli in his lungs, and he's turned on to the fractal nature and the self-similar nature of the entire universe, it's kind of hard to tell him it's the most evil thing ever. But if you were to tell him that this is a, a powerful, curative, but also psychoactive herb that can have risks, and he should talk to his parents about if there's mental illness in the family and, and find ways to use this in, in a way with, with maybe mentorship again and, and or uh, approval of uh, of parental figures, then then you're giving people reality and they can make an actual decision that can better inform their own health and have the, how they navigate in the world. So this is St. Germain for High Night News with a edited on the spot article. And I would love to hear you guys uh, all your <laughs> and I hope everybody out there has a happy Monday. And I think I, I, I think that uh, we need more balanced stories. You know, it's National Review is, is, is known as a hard right leaning publication. So they're going to have a lot of these, you know, cannabis hating uh, articles in there, unfortunately. And a lot of the liberal leaning ones are going to have nothing but the good stuff. We need more balanced reviews of this stuff. This is why Hyatt Nine News gives it to you from both sides and the good old reach around, too. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting to me that focused so much in on cannabis. I mean, obviously their daughter was using cannabis and so it's natural for them to gravitate towards this, but any mental health condition, any underlying symptomology or family history does need to be seriously considered and discussed, right? One of the most important things that as a mom and a cannabis advocate, I have to explain to my kids that in their dad's side of the family, addiction runs very rampant. Tobacco, alcohol, you name it. They have just, unfortunately, very addictive personalities. And so I have to really talk to my kids about the potential of what any kind of substance use could have on their body and long-term effects. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting, though, like, I think, you know, obviously this is a horror story, another, you know, big scary cannabis is here and it's going to hurt you. Um, mental health practitioners also need to be empowered 
And in many, in many places, we are not. I'm a former mental health clinician, and I was never, ever made to feel comfortable about exploring the topic of cannabis with any of my patients or anything like that. So this topic just needs to be something that everybody gets more educated on. It needs to be included in classes in high school when we're talking about how different um, interactions with mental health services affect people and different chemicals affect people. There just needs to be a bigger discussion about all of these things and obviously deeper research. Yes, indeed. Anybody else on this one? We got the doctors in the room? No, no, no. We got to keep it moving. Rico, let's go to Mandy. Let's keep it rocking here. Oh. So up next, we have... I'm just gonna have to riff this one, Mandy. So forgive, <laughs> forgive me on this one. But we have the NorCal-based uh, Emerald Cup judge herself, who eats more edibles than anybody you know in her entire lifetime. She is a cannabis mom, and she is also a crusader for female entrepreneurship on a mission to show the world cannabis motherhood and executive lifestyle do all go together in the same room. Coming to the stage next, y'all know who it is, Mandy Tingler. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Monday, everybody. I have an article with some fun and great news about cannabis. And it actually is good news coming out of New York City, believe it or not. The title is House of Cannabis Opens in NYC, an immersive exploration into sights, science, sounds, and history of marijuana. The House of Cannabis, located in the historic Cast Iron Building at the intersection of Howard and Broadway in Soho, opened its permanent home, celebrating, quote, high culture and the enormous impact of cannabis on music, art, fashion, social reform, and agriculture. This three-floor museum has 10 immersive experiences created by filmmakers and local and international artists. We are proud of the creativity and intention behind the House of Cannabis. We believe this is a long overdue, important story to tell, and it will appeal to cannabis connoisseurs, medicinal and recreational users, as well as the Canicurious CEO, Robert Frey said. Our hope is that on all East, is that on all East Coast and tourists, that is, excuse me, that it's on all East Coast and tourists bucket lists. The fourth floor, which will be high culture, includes a multimedia experience celebrating the 6,000 year history of cannabis and its impact on culture, a backstage pass to the ultimate cannabis musical festival featuring hip hop, rap, jazz, country, reggae, and rock. Iconic hits imagined and inspired by the artist's relationship to cannabis. The forum section here examines the millions impacted by, by oppressive, racially charged marijuana law enforcement. Guided by the Drug Policy Alliance, this multimedia exhibit gives guests an intimate look at the largely unknown ways that even a minor marijuana conviction affects people's lives, ranging from incarceration to impending ed impeding education, immigration, employment, housing, and child welfare. Then there's the rotating gallery that honors artists at the intersection of cannabis culture, fashion, music, and art, such as fine art through a collective of designs, painters, sculptors, and visual artists highlighting the cultural movement of cannabis and sneaker subcultures. On floor three, you'll experience the plant, a 6,000-year journey, including the first ever-living Breathing Urban Grow in New York City, the microverse, a glimpse of otherworldly universe that exists inside the cannabis molecule, the olfactory, a light installation from a world-renowned artist, Jason Krugman, and Seed to Soul, an interactive video world inst word installation. Floor two is called Ascension, the journey crescendos. This includes the spot, an imaginative interpretation of a park the hypnodrome, and fully engulfing hypnotic journey. THC NYC also includes a ground floor retail destination featuring a cafe, a full-size corner store, a streetwear shop, and a dedicated well-being apothecary. The ex exhibition spaces are open daily from 11 to 8, and tickets are available at thcnyc.com. 
Well, you guys, you know, I'm always looking for a positive, uplifting story. I think this is an exciting one, and I'm wanting to now go visit NYC more than ever. How about you? Very cool. Sounds, is it temporary or is it, a, is it a permanent thing? I think it's permanent. It seems to be attached to a retail location and a wellness center. So that would be kind of hard to pop up and bring back down. But it is New York City, though. Yeah, I bet it you is New York. Yeah, Ninety days, six months at the most. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how different it is if if it's different at all from uh, the Stone Age um, that was out there uh, last year. It lasted about six months. It sounds yeah. very similar. I like the idea of a group field trip. I think it's time. Let's do it. It, it is a permanent show, Mandy. Awesome. Very awesome. And so, how does it make money just by just by having people like pay like a museum? Because most museums are subsidized by the government. Well, and a lot of museums also sell tickets, Jason Beck. I understand that, but it's not going to be able to survive in New York on just ticket sales alone. I know that this venue is available. (laughs) I know that this venue is available for parties and allows consumption. Uh, I know that they are pushing to get groups in there. Are you anti-museum, Jason? No, I'm not. I think museums yes. are amazing, and I think they're going to be more museums. But I just don't know how they're going to be able to be like a permanent business in regards with this one without federal funding, because all the ones that are right. permanent businesses are have federal funding involved. Well, Mandy, didn't you say it's attached to something else? Yeah, it's attached to a retail location. Oh, yeah, because retails are too great. A streetwear shop, and then the apothecary. Mm-hmm. And and attached to all that doesn't mean that it's all under the same ownership either. It means True. attached with their neighbors. True. And I want to say, and I'm trying to remember this guy. He's he's been a long time uh, Calif- um, New York investor, uh, Robert Frey, that they have run in this joint. So I think he knows what he's doing, Jason Beck. What does he invest in? Tickets for the experience. He's a part of other dispensaries, and I'm not sure which one. I thought you could only be part of so many licenses in New York legally. Gretchen. No, because no, because some of the licenses mm-hmm. currently are being run by uh, charitables, by 501c3s, and I believe this is related to one of them. So don't be trying to pull the wool so it means they don't make eyes. Does it matter to you, Jason, back if they go out of business? Is this really going to keep you from sleeping at night if this really museum is going to stay don't. open? I really hope this works. And I really, see, I really hope we see this sort of thing pop up in other major states. California needs this, hands down. We absolutely need to be having places where people can come to official museums, learn about what's happening in our industry, learn about how this plant works. Because think about it, folks. If we hadn't had this plant taken from us, what, almost 100 years ago, we wouldn't even be sitting here today having this news show. We, this would be old news. We would all just know it. It we would gotta, be Mandy. the same. Yeah. Mandy, we got to we got to move to Chris real quick because oh, he has yeah. a hard he has a hard out at ten. He's got to get a story out there. So we have Chris Eggers, former cop, now security specialist for CC Security Solutions. Chris Eggers, what do you have for us this morning? Mandy, great story. I think it's awesome. Uh, I'm going to go visit it later this month in New York. Uh, thanks, Jason. My story comes out of MJ uh, Biz Daily. As marijuana breaking skyrocket in California, business owners take action. Um, there was, uh, some good press coverage later last week about this and, and some, uh, multiple dispensaries in San Francisco coming together. So I wanted to report this, uh, here's some stats though. In 2022 licensed businesses in California reported 329 break-ins. Uh, that's more than double the 147 all uh, reported in 2021. The worst hit counties were Los Angeles. And then, uh, after that was Alameda County, home of, uh, Oakland, California, where, uh, 52, reported incidents has occurred there in Berkeley. Uh, Through March 24th of this year, 85 break-ins have been reported by the DCC, according to state data. Uh, Like most cannabis business owners, um, then this is from Sebastian Maldonado uh, from Delta Voice. They've been um, reportedly burglarized multiple times. Maldonado, um, co-owner, estimates the company, which operates a store uh, south of uh, Sacramento, has suffered over a million dollars in stolen product over the past three years. Um, there's a couple things in here in this article I want to talk about. They talk about alarms going straight to the law enforcement. Okay. Um, one that's not always true. In fact, it's just not true. It goes to a call center and then those get prioritized one, two or three or A, B and C the lower the, the, uh, prioritization, the longer it takes for, for the police to get there. Um, and then there's obviously calls that, uh, trump that while an officer's in route. So, um, you know, 
interesting article because there's some stats in here that I just don't really agree with, but across California, burglaries continue to plague licensed cannabis businesses. Um, and sometimes with deadly results. So there, there is an increasingly frequent and violent nature to these attacks on cannabis businesses. And this article notes that a lot of these businesses that are being attacked and targeted um, don't have their addresses listed on the state website. However, there is, unfortunately, we all know ways that uh, these addresses get out. This article talks about a lot about inside jobs. So uh, not just past employees, management, but also vendors as well, um, you know, of all types. Very important to note that. Um, and then many break-ins follow a pattern with several carloads of individuals showing up in the wee hours. Um, you know, what we've seen locally in the Bay Area and throughout California, and unfortunately in a lot of major markets is, is this, uh, you know, large amounts of people coming in to these businesses after hours, uh, sometimes during times when law enforcement resources are already stretched thin. Uh, and then also we have law enforcement taking a bit of a hands-off approach with this article talks about as well. So um, it's a lengthy article with several other articles that are um, touching on similar topics from the SF Standard Examiner and SF Gate as well. Uh, but I wanted to share that this Monday. Um, curious to see what you guys have to say. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the Hyatt Nine News Hour. Yeah, a lot of people getting robbed out there. It's a very, very rough place. And then you have these district attorneys in all these cities that don't prosecute crime. So that doesn't make anything any better either. Jason, would you say that safe banking is the culprit here? <laughs> um, I'd say safe banking would be a solution to 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 a lot of this. <laughs> Because yeah, they're really they're really grabbing product and not money. They're, they're after product as well. I would say one of the biggest things that we can do is uh, is is have municipalities understand that they have access to grant dollars and and how they use them is extremely important. So every municipality has a different process to apply for grant dollars. Some municipalities are making that process extremely difficult to business owners that are already you know drowning and running their business and recovering from previous incidences. So it, it's my opinion that I think uh, municipalities really need to understand how they can help affect this. Uh, how about how about municipalities start by asking their law enforcement to to actually like do a lot of this police work and we need to get rid of a lot of these DAs for DAs that are actually going to work and prosecute criminals because the cops don't feel motivated to go after these criminals when all they're going to do is catch them and then they're going to be out the next day. Yeah, the big the big reason why the DAs are letting everybody out is mainly because of our drug our, our failed drug policy and they're running out of money to house prisoners. And That's so not the reason it, it is. Then they begin. Actually, if you read into it, I, I know, I know. But if you read into it, that's actually what's been going on. It's been going on in California forever. If we look at California in the 70s and, and before the 70s, we had free health care and free schooling, including the UC system, the best system on the planet for education to all Californians. Ronald Reagan came in and he cut uh, health care to the mentally ill who were not harmful to the who were that was not harmful. the biggest mistake i agree with who that were, part right but at the same time he also pushed and forwarded the drug war and began the, the hiring of way more chps who are the california highway patrol our state police and he also pushed the building of a ton of prisons and so what they started doing is prioritizing the social war by enacting the drug war enforcing mandatory minimums against people who were poor and locking up people in California, it was mandatory minimums and drug policy upended the prison system and basically bankrupted it. And it's the reason they don't have enough money to put people who are actual criminals into prison now, because they have people who did create did uh, you know uh, uh, commit a couple of I, hold on. I, 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 let I, me just get this out. People committed a couple of low level felonies and they got a three strikes. A lot of times for shoplifting or other petty petty crimes, and that third strike gave him twenty five years in prison. And that that third strike is is not changeable because of the way the laws are written. And so now they have people that like stole a pizza, shoplifted a hairbrush. Oh, you're, that's 100 percent right. That third yeah. strike, you can get that for anything. If you already yeah. have two strikes, you could get it for any just even a parole violation. Right. Um, and, and so and so re or, and earn your third strike. And that is total BS. I agree. And these right leaning politicians in California it, it, trying to always push and appeal to people's fear to get elected enacted these drug policy laws, mandatory minimums on drug policies, both federally and, and, and the ones in the state, as well as the three strikes law. And they bankrupted the system. And that's why everybody's getting let out of jail and prison now because nobody's got no money left. No, it's not. That's not why it is. That's not why you got these liberal DAs that are going crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, you know, the prison policy is set by the California legislature, Jason. I'm not talking about DAs not Listen, prosecuting. Bro. What I'm talking about is, is the California legislature be passing passing court. laws and people bills to get people released or early or from prison. Has a release date in prison. What's happening? Well, well, guys, 
It's the top of the hour. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all out there for tuning in with us for yet another episode of High Nine News. You can always catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our live audience members and online supporters tuning in and giving us the feedback needed on the daily headlines of chaos, also known as the developing cannabis industry. Our vetted industry correspondent team tuning in from all over the global community, bringing us much needed variety and perspective, adding your respected opinions to the conversation. To our production team, thank you, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, and the wonderful Jaja Simone. Big, big, big love and praise out to Jaja Simone. She is recovering uh, um, from a medical procedure. So all the prayer warriors, if you believe in that, like send out some good love and vibrations her way down in Arizona. But um, everybody keeping our clubhouse and AV struggles to a minimum, thank you. Uh, to our haters out there, you're the yin to our collective yang. We would not be here if it weren't for you. Keep talking your trash. And you know what? We're going to let the garbage boys come pick it up. It's so hard to do this thing without cussing us. <laughs> I swear. It always. So Cannabis Sativa L, the reason that you that the whole High at Nine team shows up every day for this. We love you and we thank you. We're going to keep on doing it. Keep on smoking. Keep on drinking. All of that. It is Monday. April 10th, 2023. The show is over. You've been blessed with today's top industry headlines. We hope it was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow. Y'all know who it is. Rico Lamy, the dopest dad on the street, signing off. And remember, when life gives you no place else to turn, you can always turn up. Gretchen Gailey, you got an outro for us today? What you got? My outro is go to our website and participate in our 420 contest. Yeah. Do it, do it, do it. Hi at 9news.com. Or if you're on the East Coast, you can even type high noon news. Oh, yes. All right. Wrap it up.